three, two, one. Yeah. <laughs> I wasn't even sure how we're going to do it. <laughs> I've got to keep them guessing. All right. Welcome to episode 11, if I'm counting right, of Up for Discussion. We have a topic today that we think is just, it's kind of what I call a classic. It's timeless. It's something that um, people have had questions about for many years, probably will continue to have questions about, but we want to let you in on our processing of um, giving. And specifically, the question is, what did we decide that the title is? Is tithing biblical? That's right. Is tithing biblical? And we don't have a like short, easy answer for that. In fact, we're going to spend the next little while delving into it. I think that it's um, important for us to know as believers what we believe and why we believe it. So that when we're in situations where we have an opportunity to be generous, we're going to reflect the God that we know. And when we're in a situation where religion is putting obligation on us, we know our God well enough to recognize that pressure that we're feeling is not him and it's not his heart. Um, so in framing the, that today, I wanted to make a few comments. Did you want to say something else first? Well, on that, I think perhaps is once you've listened to it all, you can say, well, there is a simple answer because Elizabeth just said there's not a simple answer. There is a simple answer, but if you don't get the why and the understanding behind it, you really kind of miss the spirit of the whole thing. And so that might have you even more confused, but it's okay because that's why we're going to delve into it strictly from a biblical standpoint. No, go ahead. I know you're going to read yeah, the scripture too. Yeah, I mean, I, I remember being in a situation and just the name of the person is not important, but a very famous person. We were sitting in um, a meeting and they had the leaders all sitting in the first, you know, several rows. And this was years ago. And he made this sweeping statement. If you as leaders do not give this certain amount right now, financially, then literally the blood of every person who doesn't get saved because you didn't give and support this evangelism is on you. And oh my gosh, you know, red flags went off and Johnny and I both, in fact, we were so um, grieved by it that we stood up and walked out in that moment because it felt important in the spirit realm to make a statement that we will not align with that perspective of who our father is. And that's what I wanted to kind of frame all of this in. Um, if, you've, if you've walked with us very long, then you know our, our, uh, one of our primary scriptures that we really love to talk about is Habakkuk 2.14. Where is all of this headed? Why are, we, why are we trying to bring reformation to culture in the seven mountains? Because ultimately, it's all about relationship. It's all about an overflow of the knowledge of God. This was never meant to be an assignment that we just get to go off and, you know, do on our own and then present to God. It, it was meant to be an assignment that's an excuse for God to um, be partners with us, for us to be partners with him, for us to grow in our knowledge of him. Habakkuk 2.14, the knowledge of the glory of God 
filling the earth as the waters cover the sea. That is where this is all headed. Now, what that looks like is part of our discovery process. But in the process, the enemy um, who really can't do anything to harm God can only harm his children. And ultimately, what's the way that you harm someone's child is you make them think that their, their father, who is perfect and loving, isn't who they hope that mm -hmm. he is. And so everything eventually is about the knowledge of God. And, and are we growing in our understanding of who our father is, what he's like, and then are we reflecting that God to those around us? And are we, are we reflecting those aspects of his nature and character in these areas of culture where his love is tangibly experienced in a, um, in a real way so that others can know the real him? So when we talk about a principle, a biblical principle, even like tithing, it's tempting to get so focused on the principle and what does the Bible say about it that we miss the whole reason that God even puts principles in, in place to begin with. Why does he have principles? Why are there standards of truth and right and wrong ways of doing things like our giving? It's because... Those are ways that we can know who God is and what he's like. And then we can begin to reflect it because we're made in his image. For example, if we know him to be a generous God, right. then he's inviting us into a true reflection and, and even our truest identity as being made in his image. We're called to be generous like him. So if we can look at a principle and actually fulfill the letter of the law and do exactly how the Bible tells us to. If the Bible was more clear and more black and white on so many different issues, we could actually just check off all the principles mm -hmm. and not do them with and in him and mm -hmm. as, an, as an overflow of knowing mm -hmm. him. So as we talk about this very important principle, we are only saying that it's important because it is an aspect of who he is and what he's like. And we want to learn about him and we want to, we want to know him correctly. We want to make him known correctly and we want to function at our best. One last example is, um, you know, the person who made, made the car that we have. We, we recently got a car that it has some extra bells and whistles on it and we've had to pull out the manual quite a few times. And it's helping us get the most best experience out of that vehicle because the, the people that made it told us what we needed to know about it. And so in the same way, God gives us principles like um, our giving that help us uh, get the best experience out of um, this side of heaven. You know, really. Mm -hmm. And so I was just going to give one quick scripture. Yeah. And then you and I are going to, um, then I'm going to hand it over to you because you have, Johnny has an amazing teaching. Actually, years and years ago, way before we were in ministry, Johnny um, started talking to me about, I I've always loved this about him, things that God was teaching him about. And he ended up writing just for himself a research paper on tithing. And he did a good bit of digging biblically into the subject. And so you're going to get a little bit of that plus newer revelation the Lord's given you. But um, Luke 11, verse 41, here's Jesus. Um, these are red letters, okay? And he's talking to the Pharisees and lawyers. 
And um, they, you know, it's another one of those times where they were trying to set him up. And for them, it was all about religion and not about relationship. And Jesus was highlighting that over and over again in his interactions with them. So the Lord said to this Pharisee, um, you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and the dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones, did not he who made the outside make the inside also? But rather give alms of such things as you have, then indeed all things are clean to you. But woe to you Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs and pass by justice and the love of God. He goes on to scold them a little bit more. The point of this is he's saying you are, are so committed to this principle of tithe that you are giving down to the herbs. You know, herbs is like your salt and pepper, right? You're you're giving the smallest granules of, I have checked every box, but you've missed the whole point of knowing the heart of God. So we want to grow in our knowledge of God as we look at this subject. It's all very good, Elizabeth. So, you know, there is a, a, a well-known preacher, um, has a big following in the last week or two, apparently. I haven't done enough research. I, just, I saw a video clip somebody sent me where he's declared that, you know, he's been wrong all these years and that tithing um, is not biblical. And so, um, and I don't know his foundation for processing it and all that kind of stuff. And um, I'm going to be very thorough biblically, even though I'm not going to cover all the bases. And there is a problem in that what I discovered when I did this research actually decades ago, there is handpicking certain scriptures kind of out of proper context and understanding in order to serve a prevailing message as it relates to tithe and all. And, and so it's also... Um, worth noting right up front, because I'm, I'm seeing how this can benefit. I want you to know this will benefit if you're a pastor, even if you're, if you're afraid that I might be targeting uh, tithing. Um, and so there's, a, there's an angle. Sometimes I'm thinking through you as a pastor. Sometimes I'm thinking through you as not a pastor and, and, and wondering about that. And so... Because we were pastors for over 14 years. Yes. And we're still called pastors and we're in a position of pastors over pastors even now. And so we know how, how this works. There's practical realities right now. Something I just, uh, I did the updated, best updated research I could. That 2017 numbers, um, and I'm trying to remember the organization that did it, but there's not much discrepancy from this. If you'll read in general from multiple sources, they'll have been saying that overall there's three to five percent of believers tithe. So number one, it's not really working all that well from that standpoint. But it's interesting, another part of it, that eight percent of what they call the elders, those born after 1946, eight percent tithe. Before 1946? If they were born before 1946. Yeah. You said after, but I got you. I was going to say that makes us an elder, so. Uh, did Before I say? Before 46, okay. And 5% of boomers, 2% uh, of Gen Xers, 
and 1% of millennials. So we have this progression where it's almost on its own going into extinction. And it's going there without a lot of understanding and without identifying what the Bible does support versus what it doesn't support. And I think there is a basic reality is that there's too much of the body of Christ figuring out that, okay, if, if it's about grace, if it's about, if it's not about percentages, you know, just the God that they serve just can't be that. But then they hear, you know, conflicting analysis and perspectives of that, what might, what might be happening. So there's this, then post COVID, all these numbers have gotten worse. And post COVID, there is um, the reality that they're saying 10% of those who used to go to church are not going to church at all. And 10% are moving to a different church. Like they found a church that was either more courageous or whatever in line with them. I don't know if they're the same percentage. So there's all kinds of movement uh, uh, in the body of Christ. And and at all times of going over these types of, we'll say, foundational scriptures and perceptions um, uh, as it relates to uh, to, to tithing as well. So anyway... All right, we had to take a quick pause because we had, this is the the joy of having a home studio. We had a daughter unexpectedly drop by with her dog. And so our dogs went crazy and you might hear some barking in the background, but um, the discussion continues. Yes. So we're ready to look at some scriptures regarding tithes because we want this to be something very solid from a biblical scriptural standpoint. First, we want to recognize the word tithe simply means tenth, the original Hebrew word for it, the understanding of it. So for some of you, when you hear tithes, you may just be thinking giving, right. like it's become you know, synonymous with giving. Or offerings, tithes or, and offerings. Tithes and offerings. Say it as if it's the same word. So for sure, giving, generosity, first fruits, offerings are as biblical. We'll tell you that right up front. Clearly. There is, it is repeat over and over and over. And, uh, it, you know, Jesus himself spoke often about giving and generosity. Sowing and reaping. Sowing and reaping. So that's not the question. The question is, is the legal 10% where we were actually in a church where the leader of that church said, if you're not tithing, you're out of covenant with God, you will not go to heaven. That kind of legalistic profit uh, and processing. tithing again, meaning giving ten percent off the first income that you get every month or every week, however you calculate. Well, just your it. weekly paycheck is the way yeah. they would say it, and then he would make a further point that it's not off, uh, if not off your net, it's off your gross. And there's conversations as well. So you had people fearful for their salvation over the issue of whether they were giving exactly ten percent before your taxes were taken out. So that thing is something we do want uh, covered and addressed. We do want to get into the, the spirit matter overall, as Elizabeth said, which you will pick up as we, as we go anyway. So where does tithing start biblically? Well, the first time is in the book of Numbers, uh, chapter 18, verse 21, and it says... Behold, I have given the children of Levi all the tithes in Israel as an inheritance in return for the work which they perform, the work 
of the tabernacle of meeting. And if you would then further read through verses uh, 32, it, it talks about this, this tithe and what it would what it would look like. And it it, it is um, it is then a tithe that the Levites themselves, again, part of I'm just going to tell you the scriptures. You can look at this your on your on your own so we don't take too long in there because there's 11 verses there, Numbers 18, 21 through 32, where the Levites must then give the best tenth of what they get under pain of death. You know, so this is serious stuff. And so what was the work of the Levites? That's what we want to hit right away because some say, well, that's what the pastors... No, the Levites weren't the counselors. The Levites, the tribe of Levi, were the ones specifically that dealt with the sacrifices. The priests who dealt with the sacrifices. And so it was for their sustenance and it was providing uh, the cattle, the sheep, the lambs, the goats, because the, there was all ages and all kinds of animals and then there was grain offerings. So it wasn't just animals as well. It wasn't just the lamb that was slain. There was many things that were provided. So you would have this tithe that would support this relational interaction between Israel and the Lord. Reminding you, that's the old covenant, the old Testament, the old way of doing th things. Then there's a, a legal point to, uh, to be aware of, and you can look at Le uh, Leviticus 27 and verse 30, that it's a tithe on the land and on what the land produces. It's like, what's, what's the point there? What it wasn't on commerce. So tithing was never on commerce. So you can see how if you get into the legalistic aspects of it, that would mean today only farmers or those who have gardens would have to tithe. And if you just are a businessman and you have business trades um, and particularly anything that's just online, there would be no giving of a tithe. So you can see right away the legalistic thing doesn't really work very well. Then there was a matter of, there was a, a, a third year tithe. Um, this is Deuteronomy 14, 28. And I think I'll try to read this one verse. It also says it in Deuteronomy 26 and verse 12, but in Deuteronomy 14, 28, at the end of every third year, you shall bring out the tithe of your produce of that year and store it up within your gates. Then it goes on, um, uh, and the Levite, because he has no portion nor inheritance with you, and the stranger and the fatherless and the widow who are within your gates may come and eat and be satisfied. So we see that there is this third year storehouse tithe that is specifically for meeting the needs of the Levites, but of widows, strangers, fatherless. And this storehouse tithe is specifically what, what becomes addressed, and we'll get to in a moment, in Malachi chapter 3, the one that's often preached um, preached about of the windows of heaven being open. If you tithe, it's what pastors generally are preaching to the congregation. And we'll get into in, into that as well. So, um, so be aware. There's and some have have extracted because it is it, there is enough difference of conversation and approach that is there actually a third tithe of something else? But the best in depth that I did is yeah, I clearly would identify. There's the ten percent that goes to the Levites because of the work that they do. And it, their work is the work really of redemption, of sin covering, sin atoning, 
how we get to the Lord, access to heaven through uh, for favor, for anything. There was not access through Jesus. Y'all remember, it's part of new covenant. And so this is just uh, foundational to, to understand. When people say, no, 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 tithing was before the law, I'll just go ahead and tell you that it, it really wasn't. Um, the scriptures, the examples that are used is how in Genesis 28, and you can look at that Genesis 28, we're not going to go there right now, 20 through 22. It's where Jacob agrees before the Lord. He says, I'll give you a tenth of everything. I'll give you a tithe. Everything goes well with me and my brother Esau, because he's still a little upset over the fact that I uh, kind of tricked him out of his birthright. And so I'm afraid he's going to kill me. And so see, people say, see, that's before the law. That's before Moses laid out the law. Well, here's the deal. If you're already doing it, why would there be a deal? Obviously, he's he is speaking into something that he's not been doing, um, not the expectation that then comes later on. So that that is important. There is also, it is brought up about the tithe that was paid to Melchizedek. Abraham had some spoils of war, and it says, and he gave Melchizedek tithe of all. People say, see, it's pre-law. It's not pre-law because tithe meant just a tenth. The obvious question hanging out there is, what was he doing before Melchizedek, this king, showed up? Tight shadow of Jesus Christ, yes. And what did he do afterwards? Because it just says in at one time, we'll say because of one battle scenario where he got spoils of war, that he gave 10% to Melchizedek, that he did that. So it just tells you, again, being very technical, legal, there was no tithing that Abram did before then, no tithing he did afterwards because there was no interaction with Melchizedek. And it was speaking into things. So we want to understand, yes, you go back some. So what about Cain and Abel? Well, that goes into a reality that we can, uh, we'll go into later. They brought not tithe, they brought the first fruits. And you see that the Lord was not happy with Cain's, and he was very happy with Abel's. There's messages on that, why it would be, why not. But ultimately, when we know the truth and put all the scriptures together, there was heart matters in Cain he's looking at. And so it wasn't technical, legal reasons that he disapproved. It wasn't like, well, you know, he ended up doing only 9% and then and Abel had the 10% down. And so that's what, you, you won't find those percentages. There was no requirement laid out for 10% or a tithe. It was honor the Lord, you know, with your first fruits. That's biblical. We may hopefully read a scripture later on on that. So first fruits, giving, generosity precedes tithing. It comes after tithing. It's a separate story. But tithing, just so we understand. Okay, now let's go to that Malachi scripture we're talking about. And, and just for better understanding of Malachi, and particularly for pastors for understanding, this, this, this is important. Because um, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be inviting you to process and think through things in a little different way. And we will tell you, you know, we were senior pastors for about 15 years. And we had to teach what we will be teaching here. We had, um, and I specifically the last seven years, uh, we really went stronger on the record with clarity of what we're talking. We were growing more, and so there had to be that. 
and and we were explaining the matters that we're explaining before you. So we'll say we know it works in running a congregation and, and a congregation producing even the resource. We know from a pastor standpoint, it's like there's almost a welfare mentality and mindset that develops. Well, if I don't get, I mean, I'm just barely making as it is. And if you if you say, you know, tithing is not really biblical, and then I let them, I might have nothing. We might just starve. Again, that's... Um, we understand those pressures. We were under those pressures ourselves, and it, it it's, yeah. And well, I'll just tell you the end it's of it. It's tempting. Once I, I preach to our church, because what I'm telling you right now, I actually preach to our church. Mm -hmm. And we'll, I'll say I set them free from the legalistic aspect of 10%. Yeah. And said, you know, generosity and and there's not, besides the scriptures we haven't mentioned in the New Testament also says the labor's worth is higher. Meaning if someone is giving his life for the gospel, for ministry in some intentional way where he's caring for the congregation, whatever, he is worthy of whatever of being paid. So there are all sorts of other side conversations once you get away from the legality of the 10%. That, you know, within a year or two, I asked uh, our accountant, and I said, by looking, you looking at the records of the givers, I didn't look at them myself. I just asked him, I said, what percentage of the congregation would you say is giving regularly something that would be considered more than just, uh, you know, a tip or something, something that's generous in some way, what percentage? Um, and he, he said, it, it's somewhere between 80 and 85%. Now, just so you remember, I just got through telling you tithing numbers, best case scenarios were 5%. And now we're looking at millennials doing 1%. And there's been a diminishing even in the last few years. And now we're beginning to have even some major leaders in the body of Christ say, you know what? It's not biblical. So it doesn't mean, again, the funding and financing for pastors, struggling pastors that can't make it is... Uh, you know, that that's just going to be exacerbated in some way. There's really an invitation for another way of interacting with... Uh, the, the point was people were more generous when when we made it more about, you know, what he's going to talk about than about the legalism. some legalistic point. Okay, so... Malachi. So Malachi, we want to start in chapter one and not just get to the famous Malachi, because that that is... It's amazing how you can, there's really only two scriptures at all pastors use to say tithing is for today. And this is the biggest one that comes in Malachi chapter, uh, you know, if you want to go there first, you have the Malachi 3 right there. Okay, let's sure. see. <clears throat> Malachi 3, um, and it's verse, I don't even, it's crazy. Eight. I don't even, I don't even underline it anymore, but it's verse, it is verse 8. Just read that, Elizabeth. Will a man rob God? Yes. How many times have you heard pastors say that? Will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. So that's the scripture that's used. And so it's like, wow, you've robbed God. How is God going to provide for you if you're a thief? And, you know, that was what this one pastor said. By extension, thieves aren't allowed in the kingdom of heaven. So if you don't tithe, you're going to hell. And um, and extracting, uh, piecing together scriptures in a disingenuous way, we'll say. Do you want me to go on down to <clears throat> verse 10? Um, go ahead, yeah, read that. So, um, goes on to say, You are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. 
He's going after the whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you such blessing that there will not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke the devourer for your sakes, that he will not destroy the fruit of your ground, nor shall the vine fail to bear fruit for you in the field, says the Lord of hosts. So we want to understand, first of all, the tone, the general tone of the book of Malachi. One of the, ra- one of the ways scripture repeatedly gets wrongly used is when context is not understood, even who he's speaking to, what is he addressing, when that part is ignored. And sometimes the Lord does shine on something for a moment and there is application for us. Um, you extract and it doesn't have to just be, uh, you know, content. Uh, In the context, context that it was originally yeah. meant. Yeah. Uh, of what it was meant before. And and that's even a rabbinical understanding of how there are separate applications of scripture. But first of all, we want to understand, even if you look at the notes on New New York, I mean, New York, New New King James Version had the NKYB, I was trying to say, like sounds like New York City. No, it's not. Uh, (laughs) uh, New King James. New King James Version. That's what I'm reading from if you're asking. Do I believe that is the anointed ultimate only? No, I don't. Um, but part of it is point of reference for me because that's what I was most familiar growing up with. Right. Actually, I got the King James, the original King James version. But I do enough studying. I'll have even my office there is kind of a little bit of a mess because I have like five Bibles. I look at them in all the languages and then I go back and look in original language and determine who seems to have done the better job. Because if the author, the interpreter, translator does not have an understanding of who's being targeted and who's being talked to, he can miss it just based on that. That's a whole sure. other, that's Good. for another time. That's sound. So here is, um, let's look at Malachi chapter one, verse six. And you have to understand the conversation is to the priest. This is not to the general people. This is the theme really of all of Malachi. It's God chastising his priests. The equivalent. So what I just read was not God speaking to the congregation. Well, I'll get there. Okay. But yes, you already you took the punchline there. But I, I'm just going to let no, it's, it's all right. <laughs> so you'll say in verse six. Yep. A son honors his father and a servant his master. If then I am the father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my reverence, says the Lord of hosts? To who? To you priests who despise my name. So let's get that clear here. Malachi begins as a burden of the Lord, as it calls the burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi, but it's specifically to his priests. And you say, in what way have we despised your name? You offered defiled food on my altar, but you say, in what way have we defiled you? By saying the table of the Lord is contemptible. And when you offer the blind as sacrifice, is it not evil? And when you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Offer it then to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he be? Would he accept your, you favorably, says the Lord of hosts? So understand this. What's he saying? Remember, we already told you that there is the order from heaven to them. If they go legalistic tithing, you must give the best tenth of what the people give you. And he's like, you're giving the lame, you're giving the blind, you're giving the worst, what doesn't serve your purposes. So it tells us two things right there. Number one, the people are tithing. So here, see, we're going we're gonna to get to the rest of the punchline, what Elizabeth is looking at. It's the problem is not the people tithing. The people were tithing. Because we originally read in Numbers that God was instructing, you're going to give 
tithe to the Levites to help support them and so that Levites will have something to give to me. Exactly. And something to use for um, the, the poor and the widows and orphans and all of that, right? He goes on, exactly. Verse 12 of still Malachi 1, he's still talking to the priest. But you profane it. How his name is supposed to be great among the nations. You profane it and that you say, the table of the Lord is defiled and its fruit, its food is contemptible. And you say, oh, what a weariness. What's a weariness? Them giving the best uh, tenth. And you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, and the sick. Thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hand, says the Lord? Cursed be the deceiver. Okay, who is he talking to? Priests. What's the equivalent today? It would be the pastors. It would be... Those who are keeping legalistic tithing, he's like, you're asking them to give you the first tenth and the best tenth, and then you're giving me the, the worst. Though it's, you know, when you're getting dollars, it's hard to have a bad dollar, so it doesn't really translate the same as here. But you're getting sheep, and you're having sheep that get sick, and you're giving that as your legal requirement to the Lord. So, uh, then it, just if you think that he's stopped that, verse 1 of chapter 2. But now, O priest, this commandment is for you, if you will not hear, if you will not take it to heart. And he goes on, say, half of that verse. I will send a curse upon you, and I will curse your blessings, and I have cursed them already. Remember, later in chapter 3, and I'll remove the curse, I'll open windows of heaven. Again, if you look even at my New King James Version, uh, the title of chapter 2 says, Corrupt Priests. Mm -hmm. It's an entire... For time's sake, we're not going to go after it, but it's like you have made me contemptible and base before all the people. In verse 9 is where it literally says that you have not kept my ways. Mm -hmm. You have shown partiality in the law because the law is what rule in that time. And so has anything changed? We start chapter 3, the big chapter where we read about beginning the tithes. Behold, I send my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me, and the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. Who can endure the day of his coming? Who can stand when he appears? He'll come like a refiner's fire. Verse 3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And what's his target? He will purify the sons of Levi. Who were the priests? The sons of Levi. And Which were the Pharisees them. that he was talking to in the New Testament, right? Some of them. Equivalent. And purged them as gold and silver that they may offer to the Lord an offering in righteousness. Mm -hmm. So it's a stop at verse 3. We're in chapter 3, verse 3. Remember, context, context, context. Again, the point here is for you pastors who really want to know biblically. It's amazing. I cannot... I just... I remember how stunned and shocked I was to learn it's taught in seminary that tithing is biblical. And I was like, what kind of weak processing? They're champions of hermeneutics and this and that and the other context. And it's like absolutely uh, ignored and brought out in some other way based on a distortion of a couple of passages that they have not properly incorporated into con context. So I will come and anyway, and, but here's what he's upset at. This part is important. Is uh, verse 5, chapter 3, I will come near you for judgment. I will be a swift witness against sorcerers, adulterers, perjurers, those who exploit wage earners, and widows and orphans. So what's his concern here? Widows and orphans. They don't have welfare system. They operate somewhat as a theocracy. And so they do not fear me. 
and I, I, do not, I do not change. He's upset that they're not keeping care of those who are the least fortunate, we'll say, in the nation. Will a man rob God? This is where Elizabeth was just reading. You have robbed me. But you say, what have we robbed? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. And notice that first line in verse 10. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Does not say start tithing. The accusation is not that there's not general. He could not accuse him of the things he did in the first two chapters if the, if they weren't somehow receiving sheep, goats. So the people were tithing, but the Levites were not storing the tithe. They were not doing. They were not giving. They were not doing two things. They were not giving the best tenth. There is like weariness, this legality of everything. They, they were not doing the best tenth. But bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So what tithe is he specifically talking about? The one we brought up before. The storehouse tithe is the third year tithe that's specifically for the widows, the orphans. And so we find when we read in, in verse 5, against those who exploit wage earners and widows and orphans. So we see a couple of things here. The Lord is addressing the priests number one. Number two, it's specifically over the storehouse tithe. And it does seem like when he says, even this whole nation, bring all this tithe into the storehouse, there may be food in my house and try me in this, is that that the, the people, it becomes um, credited to the people, if you want to say, as sin on their behalf as well, that there is no storehouse tithe because the priests are the ones that are supposed to be separating that. The third year special tithe that they give is supposed to be going. That doesn't tell us for sure if they have ceased to ask the children of Israel for that or not. But the sin, the error is of the priests in any way you look at it. And again, this is even under Old Testament way. Now we haven't even gone to what were the requirements of what they would do with the tithe and how there was to be celebration and parties and eat all you can at different seasons and times. We haven't even gone in depth on that, but we want to understand that even if you stick to Old Testament legalistic 10% tithing, it is not what's been taught today. To say the review, again, it would not be for commerce. In fact, no building project was ever or could ever be built on tithe especially that first, well, neither one. That first tithe is funding those who handle your sins, the Levites. The second tithe is because there is no welfare system and it's specifically for the widows, the orphans. So the Lord is taking care of those. And it's like that money could never be used and was never used for the tabernacle, nor Solomon's temple, nor any building structure. No building can be done with tithe. So if you're going to be a legalist on tithe, at least follow those rules. It is for increase that comes off the ground, not for trade, and it can't be for building project. That's just Old Testament tithe. Now we're going to go to uh, New Testament. One, while you're turning there, one quick thing about verse 9, uh, chapter 3. He says, you robbed me, even this whole nation. And so he was getting on to them because... It, they're basically the equivalent of robbing the nation because how they would care for the widows and orphans from the overflow of the storehouse affected their nation, um, which is very interesting to me because 
if we're going to, like you said, if we're going to be legalistic and we're going to, we're going to learn also about the knowledge of God in this, mm-hmm. then we need to understand that God actually cared. It wasn't that he was just freaking out. Like it's not just about him. It's like, I have set into motion the system that's going to work best for this time in history, how this is going to, how you are meant to function best is if you keep the system the way that I set it up. And when you rob me, you're basically robbing your own nation because you're not doing it the way that I set the system in motion to work. Yeah. So, so you that's said where? Uh, well, what we're going to do, it's just the New Testament now. Okay. And we want to understand, you already read one scripture on it where he, um, you know, we'll say rebuking the Pharisees mm-hmm. for their tithing and it says it also in another in matthew 23 uh 20 well see if you can op- open to there elizabeth matthew yeah. 23 verse 23 and verse 23 but 23 and 24 and then verse 33 matthew 23 matthew 23 23 yeah woe to you okay this red letters again jesus talking he's doing some of the rebuking here of the religious ones Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Uh, Blind guides, you strain out a gnat and swallow a candle. Okay, so a lot of people get, it's clearly, there's two times Jesus talks about tithing and both times in a negative context Mm -hmm. and this one right here but people point out and pastors point out but he did say this ought you have done so see this ought you to have done it's new testament truth question when does the new testament start does the new testament start matthew 1 that's looking at the bible what is the testament it's a new covenant when did that begin it did not begin in matthew chapter 1 it begins with the blood of Jesus being shed. Right. As it tells us in Hebrews, um, I have a script, um, Hebrews, actually, Elizabeth, if you can look up Hebrews chapter nine mm-hmm. while I'm talking here, mm-hmm. in verse 15 and 17, we'll tell you. So the New Testament doesn't begin until Jesus pays the price for the new covenant. That's what new covenant is all about. It's something that was taking place, not by Matthew writing chapter one, verse one, but through the blood of the testator. See if you have Uh, Where there is a testament, there must also of necessity be the death of the testator. For a testament is in force after men are dead, since it has no power at all while the testator lives. So the testator in the Old Testament would have been the lambs that were slain, the, the sacrifices that were made. Jesus was was the lamb that was slain. So it would be after his death. Therefore, not even the first covenant was dedicated without blood. So that whole point, without a death of a testator. And so the New Testament becomes an effect after he has given his life. And so that's what the atonement was done for. So when Jesus says, this ought you to have done, he knew there, he, they, he was still on Old Testament rules. He understood that. That's why like, but you're not even doing that right. You've missed the whole spirit of it. And you're doing this technical legalistic mint and coming and, and cumin, whatever different people call it different things, but it's the, the, the little herbs and spices and you've 
forgotten the weightier matters. But what's the other key part there for weightier matters? What did you say? The weightier matters of Justice. the law. No, but that's the point. Oh. Did you see that there? See, did, I was I'm, going back to Matthew. Where are you? Yeah, back in Matthew. Yep. Look at it, it says you... you 23, have, 23? Yeah. Um, the, yes, the weightier matters of the law. So that's what we want to make a point right there. He's telling them that even tithe was a matter of the law, but they were even missing the weightier matters of the law. But he's making it legally clear that tithing was a law situation from the first covenant. Yeah. And the only reason he's endorsing it, even going forward at that time, is because there is no new covenant that began. Okay? Well, he had to endorse it because he was going to fulfill it. Well, he did. So he wasn't ever trying to undermine the law. He was fulfilling the law. Yeah. So. Okay. So let's move on to, uh, um, if you got that, tithing doesn't start until Jesus dies and pays the price for the new. That's the part that tithing becomes clear. Tithing doesn't start? Um, you just said tithing doesn't start until <laughs> Jesus dies. The new tithing ordinance okay. doesn't start. And, and so, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up. I would have left a confusion a confusion point hanging there. And and so the new tithing ordinance, not just tithing, the new tithing ordinance. There is a new ordinance on tithing that then comes. And that's what we're going to read. And that's the clearest passage on this whole thing. And this is what I want to quickly go through. So you're acknowledging that in the Old Testament, under the Old Covenant, there was a system God put into place that they were to bring in tithes, but that even back then, God wasn't getting on, he wasn't using the scriptures that people use now to get onto the congregation for not tithing. He was speaking to the Levites back then for not doing the right thing with the tithes that had been given. So tithing was biblical in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant. Jesus came to fulfill it. So you're saying now there is a new understanding of tithing under the New Covenant. Right. Okay. And so here's the deal understanding the spirit of this whole thing. Number one, since Israel operated as a theocracy, they didn't have a system where, you know, the IRS took some of your money or whatever else takes place. However else that happens, you're taxed on your paycheck and that goes towards those in welfare. There was no other way for those in desperate conditions to be taken care of. And so they had a tithe for that. That was part of even um, uh, the process of functioning as a theocracy, the level of theocracy that they functioned in. And so there is um, um, another part that we do not, I've said it briefly, we want to hit upon it again, and then when I read uh, here in, in Hebrews, and this is going to be pretty quick, pretty direct in just a moment, we want to understand that this was the, 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 the reason because the reason, you know, it's hard to understand. You go read through Leviticus. You read the first few books of the Bible. and the, and the But particularly Leviticus, all the sacrificial processes. And what kind of sin they had to do this type of sacrifice. And what kind of sin required this. And it was just complex, complicated, heavy. And, and you're like, wow, wow, wow. There is a point he is wanting to make to us. And the point is, sins are a big deal. Sins are a big deal, and they have to be taken care of in some way or another. The sins, sins separate us from God. It's not because he makes a choice to be off offended with us. It's like he's too pure to interact with that that doesn't 
without and, it consuming us. So, yeah. yeah. So there's a whole message going into the depth thing on sin. That's really the bigger storyline here. So there's a complicated system of payment and it takes time, takes effort. And so, it, you know, it's sacrificial. So you, it's to draw attention to yourself. Oh, so you can't just say, uh, you know, please forgive me. I'm sorry. I'm done. And go on there. It's like, it's, there's more than that. It's like, no, this is, this is a deal. So there's some motivation to stay righteous in what you're doing, even while knowing there is a service, there is a sacrifice that is available. And so that part we want to. And the, the grand exchange, like when you say that, it makes me think, well, goodness, maybe it'd be better if we still had that because we'd have less sin. But God was making this giant exchange when he sacrificed his son, Jesus, that we would be motivated no longer by inconvenience and fear of God, but that we would be motivated out of relationship, that we would desire to be near him with nothing between us. Um, yeah. So it's still about relationship. It's still about relationship. So the key chapter that is the clearest biblically, and again, this is this is for legal, technical purposes, as well as understanding the spirit of the whole thing. We start, first of all, it's good to understand the book of Hebrews. My dad was an expert teacher, preacher on the book of Hebrews, and he would go chapter by chapter and tell us even the pattern of the book of Hebrews. The pattern of the book of Hebrews would be how things were before and then how they've changed when there's the new that's brought in. And so um, he would call it the book of better things. And so the, oh, word, I love that. The, uh, the word better is all through throughout there. And there's a better rest. There's a better priesthood. Uh, there's a better salvation. And so this the theme is over and over. And then he starts out in chapter 7, talking of Melchizedek. We'll just read this. For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, who met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him, to whom also Abraham gave a tenth part of all, first being tra translated king of righteousness. And he goes on to talk about him, etc., etc. Verse 4. Now consider how great this man was to whom even the patriarch gave a tenth of the spoils, meaning a tithe, and this is where it gets, again, confused. And I'd say many ministers, pastors, confused on it and trying to eliminate the confusion. Because they'll say, And indeed, those who are the sons of Levi, who receive the priesthood, have a commandment to receive tithes from the people according to the law. So people say, see, it's New Testament because it's in the book of Hebrews. It's after Matthew chapter 1. And it's telling us after the death of Jesus that the sons of Levi have a commandment to receive tithes, but just, just remember those last four words, according to the law. And so according to the law, the function of the sons of Levi was functions of the law. Mm -hmm. Now, remember, so it's telling us, it's going through this pattern of Hebrews. That's why it's so good to read scriptures in context as well, where it lays out what was and now the better way. Mm -hmm. And it's going to make it super clear because it, it, remember that, verse 5, it talks about a commandment. Notice that word, a commandment. It's the only time you'll see if you read all, we won't take the time to read all the verses. It's the only time in the chapter 7 that it'll talk about a commandment. But it'll talk about a commandment to receive tithes. So, we'll according get to... According to the law. And it's according to the law. And, and so, we get to verse 11. This is the key to save time. <clears throat> Therefore, if perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, remember, 
It just said, Levi has a command to collect. But he's talking about how it was. If perfection were through the Levitical priesthood, Levitical priesthood is different than the Jesus priesthood. It's the Old Testament priesthood. If perfection were through the Levitical priesthood for under the people received the law, what further need was there for another priest to arise according to the order of Melchizedek, not be called according to the order of Aaron? For, now pay attention here. This is verse, this is Hebrews 11, verse 12. For the priesthood being changed of necessity, there is also a change of the law. So the law, and now, where does it speak specifically of this word law? That was also in verse 5, commandments to receive tithes from the people according to the law. So you look at, there is a specific referring back to the specific law, not just the law in general, but the specific law of tithings. He says, there is a change of that law. Right. For he who uh, these things are spoken of belongs to another tribe, etc., etc. For it is evident that our verse 14, um, our Lord arose out of Judah, the tribe Moses spoke of, verse 15. Yet it is far more evident if in the likeness of Melchizedek there arises another priest who has come not according to the law of a fleshly commandment. What is he now calling a fleshly? And never when he uses the word fleshly is it good. Fleshly commandment but according to the power of an endless life. It's back to that. So verse 18, of all the things that have been the clearest, this is the clearest. If you want to have the biblical proof out of one verse that tells you that tithing is no longer biblical for us today. For on the one hand, there is an annulling of the former commandment. Remember, there's only one commandment been talked about in this chapter, the commandment to tithe. There is an annulling, annulment, because of its weakness and unprofitableness. For the law made nothing purpose. On the other hand, there is the bringing of a better hope through which we draw near to God. So it's the greatness of this new uh, priesthood that, that comes in. And then just so you get the spirit idea of it, you go to the next chapter. It's now talking about this new priestly service, the better priestly service. Um, verse Seven. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then no place would have been sought for a second. So it's like the priesthood, the reason tithing the way you think of it legalistically has to stop. It's even an offense to God because that tithing was funding that which Jesus replaced. It was the old way, the old sacrificial system, the old way of dealing with your sin was through tithing. And so it's like, you can't, do that. There is a new covenant. And the whole purpose was to set set us up to see our need for Jesus, the better way. And to see that as good as the law was that God put into place himself, it was inferior to what he wanted to do next, which is perfection through Jesus, because perfection couldn't come through the law. So right on. Verse 7 of Hebrews 8, I said, the first covenant had been faultless. There no place sought for second because finding fault with him, he says, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel, with the house of Judah, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day, not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, 
because they did not continue in my covenant and I disregarded them, said, says the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their mind and write them on their hearts. So I will be their God, they will be my people. Laws that are in the mind, in the heart. So it goes to the intent of why that had to happen is that the lesson that's supposed to be taught would be what remains here without doing the physical uh, checklist, checklist yeah. of things. Verse 13, in that he says a new covenant. Okay, this is again just as clear as that other verse 8. He has made the first obsolete. Now what is becoming obsolete and growing old is ready to vanish away. So we hope that is... Um, I showed. We hope that is very clear. Read. Yes, I have listed I Hebrews chapter ten and sure. verses eight. And, and if nine. you hear a little noise, we've got a lot of rain. Here. Rain's falling. You know, the um, windows of heaven are open over us. <laughs> okay, you said Hebrews <laughs> ten and verses eight and nine. Okay, Hebrews ten eight. Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire, nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. <laughs> then he said, he being Jesus, behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first that he may establish the second. By that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So you can't be sanctified by the ties of the first covenant. They don't open windows of heaven. They don't sanctify you. It's an offense to what actually took place at the cross. So at the cross is where he paid the full price. It is as clear as can be, scripture after scripture, but the ones we just, that scripture she just read, the ones through Hebrews 7, it was explained so well to us. And then the further biblical and extra biblical realities, these realities, the apostle Paul, who was a, I don't know what we call him, he'd go after every detail, like. Who could get divorced? How? If you did this and that. He's, he's a detailed guy. He covered all the bases. He would tell them what all their sins were. He'd tell them even gossiping was sin. Um, but he never, not one time, do you hear him say tithe. Not only that, he even said, I run my own business. He's a tent maker, so I won't put a burden on you. Now, if Paul knew they were, might go to hell if they didn't tithe, or that they're out of covenant with God if they didn't tithe, don't you think he would have felt the responsibility to, to give that on them? So Jesus had two references to tithing, both negative. No other apostle mentions the word tithe at all unless you consider what's mentioned in Hebrews in a very, it's not anymore. It's, again, it's remarkable that, that very scripture in Hebrews is read the one verse. So the sons of Levi have a command to tithe. They say, see, it's biblical. It's in Hebrews. It's right there. You understand if you read the context, it's saying the opposite of what's being brought out. So no teacher of the New Testament brought it. I did in-depth study on the extra biblical reality of the day. If you want to look at that, what, um, the 2 Corinthians 9 in just a minute, Paul's sure. um, his standard for forgiving. But I also read that the early church, they did not practice or believe tithing. Giving, almsgiving, generosity was such that, according to this one author, that he, he believed the people, it seemed 
one third, I don't know how they, you know, what kind of survey was done, but he said like one third of what they received, they were giving. Generosity flowed. Paul would speak of, of giving and, and, and the Lord would speak of giving. Giving was talked about, generosity. A son and daughter of the king is supposed to be generous. And so if, if you're enjoying this thing on, yes, I can stop tithing. And it's so you can be more of a, uh, you know, tightwad. You miss the spirit of the whole thing. There is no advancing in Christianity without advancing in generosity from that standpoint, not in a legalistic type way. There, uh, I think you also have that scripture. Yeah. There's two scriptures where, where your treasures are your heart is, but tell yeah. the standard, uh, I think it's 2 Corinthians no, I think you have it. Yes. Nine. nine verse six. Yeah. Um, this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, but he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So let each one give as he purposes in his heart, not grudgingly or of necessity for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound toward you that you always having all sufficiency in all things may have an abundance for every good work. And that was our standard in our church as we pastored. We read that. And so application even for a pastor, how, do, how, does that, how does that work? I would say it doesn't really say you should come to church and check with the Holy Spirit and see how much you want to give. Generally, what's going to come out of there is tips. I said, let each purpose in their heart. And I, I recommended that husbands and wife would purpose together. Yeah, yeah. What percentage would you like to give? What percentage would you have faith to give? And, and you know, how, how connected did you feel to the ministry? Because the scripture says where your treasure is, there will your heart be. You can steer your heart. Do you, you believe this is something kingdom that God is doing? And so, but if you've done zero, I said, you know, if you've never, if, if you've not done anything, if you've been a, a one percenter or nothing forever, you may not have faith for much. I said, but do something. And I challenged them. I said, hey, do 3%. And I said, not because you're thinking tithe, not because you're thinking legalistic. Try it. Try You and your wife, go. Let's agree together. I said, this is, you have to do it. But purpose in your heart, start with 3%. And I said, let's check our finances in three months. Let's check it in six months and see how we do. And then I said, like you, that, hey, that went well. Let's go 5%. And so if you know, like you shouldn't really go to a church if you don't believe in it anyway. But if you believe in the church, you believe it's kingdom soil, like just keep testing, be in agreement, purpose in your heart, not out of necessity. Again, there's so much said there. Paul says, not out of compulsion, not out of necessity, necessity, not out of requirement, depending on what version of the Bible you have. He is letting you know that is not the New Testament standard anymore. He himself does not uh, 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 does not live off that. He counts on, he's a tent maker. He does tell them, he talks Thoroughly, if we had more time, we'd go through it. He tells the different uh, cities, he's like, you all are very generous and you help me. And, and he's like, I shouldn't have to work like I'm doing, but it's okay because I do it for your good. And But then he praises those who are generous. And so conversation on generosity in the body of Christ, even leadership to their congregation, that's fine. It's when you just mess it up. When you put this legalistic number, you call it tithe and you connect it to what was clearly something for the sacrificial system, for redemption, for really the whole processes, financing the whole processes of the original New, New Testament. So I, I will just add like just a practical note of giving to a church. I think it's super important for any church or organization to have um, 
you know, a system, a board in place that there is accountability for what they're doing financially. I think sometimes there's sinister things going on behind closed doors with finances, but I also think that sometimes, um, you know, pastors are not business people and they maybe are just not good stewards. And so it's really important, I believe, to, to make show sure your people that you're yeah, that you're stewarding, stewarding well and and it, it shouldn't be an uncomfortable um, ask. Dialogue, yeah. You know, you shouldn't even have to ask. There should be like, you know, clearly like, for example, Restore 7, we have a board and they're all people that are. Uh, business people, they're really good with finances. We have a professional um, and the books are open accountant, to them 100% of the time. Yeah. Um, we're, you know, we're in good standing with the government. Um, what all these things we don't, we don't compromise on what we say. Clearly we've been kicked off YouTube. I'm just saying like you, it's, it's not enough to just tip uh, someone and then just think irresponsibly any more than it is if you're going to buy consistently from a company or an organization, let's say you're going to purchase something from an organization that's, you don't, you don't have any idea if that organization is some, somebody that you should support or not. Like we're supposed to do our due diligence with where we invest not 10% of our money, but all of our money. It's right. all his is the point. Did you want me to read um, Luke? Yeah. And that is it, what Elizabeth just said there as she's getting to that Luke scripture is the New Testament reality is, you know, it's not that you can just put 10% of what you earn under God's eyes and the 90% you get to do with what you want. Uh, it's New Testament. The new covenant is all about you're accountable for everything. And so not just the 10%, not just, it's not pay off the mafia boss. So he doesn't break your knees yeah. and give him his 10%. And then, you know, all right, you just go on do whatever you want. You're accountable for it all. Jesus made that clear over and over. He's, he, he taught on the talents and he had five, you had two, he had one. You were a steward and you were accountable for stewardship over the entire amount you were given. It's not accountable in a oh, accountable type of way, but it's like that's you invite Jesus in. He's either Lord of everything. He's not Lord of all. So if you don't bring him into giving and finances and, and generosity in your heart uh, and the issues of the heart as it relates to that, then you're just not really being, you know, you're not really being very honest about your relationship with God. You've invited him in, 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 you know, some pie uh, cut and not the whole thing. Okay, we get the scripture. Now. All right, Luke six thirty eight. Um, yes, where did I have it? Right here. All right, again, this is Jesus talking. I'm gonna start at verse thirty seven. Jesus says, "Judge not, and you will not be judged. Condemn not, and you will not be condemned. Forgive, and you will be forgiven. Give, and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, will be put into your bosom." For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Again, in the light of the knowledge of God, what does this tell us about our Father? It tells us that, first of all, it's not just about a principle of giving. He connects heart issues like judging and forgiving and condemning or not condemning people all in the same conversation with what we do with our finances. It's all the same to him. And so, again, as Johnny's saying, it's not just I can just 
give this set amount and then I don't have to think about anything else. It's all a matter of our heart and our heart is connected to our identity. And we don't know the real us till we know the real him. And when we, we really see God, our father, as he is, then we understand how we were meant to operate because we're made in his image and God doesn't judge and God doesn't condemn and God doesn't doesn't withhold forgiveness and God is generous and gives. And so as we grow in our relationship with him and we take advantage of the reality that Jesus paid the price so that we could draw near to the father, then we can actually begin to know him and reflect him in these, in these ways. That's good. So we're going to wind down here and let me just a couple more things. And there's so many more directions we could go mainly just on the generosity, the first fruits, and and how it connects to the heart. You know where your heart is; there your treasure will be. Um, I mentioned that already, but Jesus was saying that and how difficult it is for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, uh, because there, when we're talking treasure, um, we understand that is issues of the heart, the biggest, right. the main issues of the heart. And so we had the rich young ruler. And, you know, the Lord says, hey, give all, give to the poor. And he's just touching him where he knew because he was claiming that he had really submitted to lordship. And he's like, no, you haven't. Uh, Your money's not under lordship, so you're not really under lordship. And that's not intended to be used in a manipulative way for a pastor or an evangelist coming through town or whatever mega ministry coming, him them to be able to use this scripture to extract um, um, more from you. There is just... Um, you know, just the reality. You cannot close off the area of finances, generosity. You cannot close it off as that's just me and myself. And I'm sorry, I'm a tightwad. I like God and everything else and his people, but I'm I'm just a tightwad. No, it all, it's like you have to bring him in there. You have to include him in there. And so um, and a couple, just a couple of verses I wanted to uh, throw out as part of our uh, clothing to remind you of a, a couple of things. And, you know, Proverbs 15, 6, in the house of the righteous, there is much treasure, but in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. So we're not, you know, this is a hard word to get balanced as well. We have the people that are forever angry at, um, at believers who speak that, um, God would have them be blessed in any way. But I'll just read that one more time. In the house of the righteous, there is much treasure. But in the revenue of the wicked is trouble. He's not saying there's no revenue for the wicked, but there's trouble associated with it. So when we know how to honor the Lord, we know that salvation is through what Jesus did on the cross. And so there's no paying off anything. Uh, you know, there's all kinds of blessings that are ours. We have Jesus time and time again, he talks about you know, how he gives, asking it shall be given to you, seeking you should find. But there's this whole thing is like, he's going to give you what you're asking. He's a good father. If you being an evil father, know how to respond to your kids. I do so as well. I respond to needs and I respond to where you're at. And I don't have this technical thing. Well, you know, I've counted over the last 10 years and your tithing really adds up to 2.7%. And I'm sorry, I had to shut the windows of heaven over you. So I had a quick list, Elizabeth, of Seven reasons to stop tithing. Not stop giving, not stop generosity, but to stop tithing. Number one, it is not the way tithing was in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, I already pointed that out because it was not about commerce, um, et cetera, et cetera. Number two, it is clearly spoken against 
in the New Testament, particularly when we went to Hebrews, it says there is a change of law. There is an annulled commandment. There is the new that is brought in. Number three, it undersells you on what you're accountable to God for. Again, for those who love the 10%, I don't need to hear God anymore. I don't need to open my heart to him anymore. Uh, there's that. For Number the 90%? Yes, for the 90%. Number four, it leaves you feeling condemned and worthy of defeat when you can't give the 10%. That's been one of the, our greatest concerns. We'd have to tell um, people like suddenly we have a God who can't forgive um, uh, you know, 10%. No, sorry. If you didn't do the 10%, you better do the legal thing. Again, depending on what level of legalese you've been under in your, in your church experience. And so then you have people that don't ask God anymore for healing, for provision, for anything. It's like, I can't, I mean, I don't, I, I can't tell you how many times I've heard that from believers. We're struggling, but we haven't been able to tithe. And so, uh, that's, you know, that's it. So there's confidence before God is eroded because I didn't, perfectly perform. perform that and that's one of the big things that has to be knocked so out so it's an incorrect perspective of the father yes number five it leaves you with 10 percent less to give from as a free will offering so you want to get credit for what you're giving not like you give something like that was only eight percent that's all we can do and you don't even consider it giving so you have no faith you have no confidence say lord we've been giving would you see can you know we see that scripture is also the lord he hears our request to honor what we've given and sacrifice we've, we've made. And so we're like, no, it was nothing because it, it didn't even count because you didn't get to the legal 10%. Number five, number six, seven reasons to stop tithing. It finances the gap between clergy and laity. And that's a whole part of it. It finances the gap between cl clergy and laity. That is huge because yeah. it's this whole us versus them. And if we were really spiritual and really mature spiritually, then we'd be, you know, in ministry telling people to give to us. And meanwhile, we just have to work in the real world and we're lesser than. It's so yeah. not true. It, it takes away the sacredness of, you know, some of you are you know, maybe you're a part of a company or, or an organization that has the ability to help solve some huge problem in the world that's the heart of God and you're helping you know contribute that way but maybe you don't you know on paper you don't get you don't have all that much that you are able to give in offerings but you're actually helping steer tons of finances towards a real issue solving a real problem in the world and that's a kingdom advancement so, yes, it is good. And then it's number seven, it kind of related. It assists in keeping you ignorant of your own priesthood. Mm -hmm. See, the elimination of the priesthood of the believers is what comes out of. No, we finance the priests. We're secular. And so that just gets reinforced with this tithing. No, he preached there. I give him my 10 percent. Again, that's so different than honor the 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 the. Labor is worth, I'm trying not to say in King James, the labor is worth is higher. He who brings the word and teaches you and encourage you in that kind of way, there is, it's like he's he's worth, there is worth honoring that financially, economically, but not in that kind of legalistic way. And not because you aren't also a priest, because that's that's part of this whole new system is the priesthood of the believers. He's made us a kingdom of priests. 
whether you look at those scriptures as where it says in Revelation, he has made us kings and priests to our God or a kingdom of priests. Some say that's the better translation. Any way you look at it, we are the priesthood as well. There's no such thing as secular Christianity. It's part of our seven mountain message or seven mountain mandate. We all have a ministry. We all have a ministry where we have to show up. But yes, there's the practical realities we will want to ignore. If there is a building, if there is a church, if there's somebody who's on full-time call for those who are sick and who's delivering the word, set aside for the word in that kind of way, it has to be funded in some kind of way. So just think pragmatically, practically, generously in that kind of way instead of legalistically, because that's, they do have to, we do, we're aware of so many good pastors around the world mm-hmm. or in the, in the United States and around the world that just, you know, they, they live, you just can't believe how most pastors live. It's just, and they have no security for their future. There's no, you know, retirement being set up for them or anything like that. It's, it's, no medical help. No, it's it's not. There's a reason 15,000 pastors quit every year in the United States. That's yeah. what the numbers are. And it's because there's a lot of financial pressures. And so they, they, they lean on the tithe word in order to assist it. They don't really know that that's just exacerbating. It's making it worse. It doesn't connect people to faith. It doesn't connect people into confidence with God. Yeah. And so if you have a generous congregation operating out of generosity, believing in your vision and your mission, and they see you as being full of faith, they see you not, you know, because uh, that's often what we're trying to do. You have faith because I'm struggling. No, as a pastor, yeah. you have to carry the faith. That's that right. faith is picked up by your congregation. And so they they can advance it. And we want to just, uh, uh, we have several closings on this thing, but realize <laughs> that this there's so much, again, this pattern of what the Lord does. You know, he says, um, he, there's this, bring me your first fruits. It's over and over in the scripture. Mm-hmm. And there's the tithe. This thing of the first is part of not just what he requires of us, part of what he did. And there's several scriptures that tell us, Jeremiah 2, 3 says, Israel was holiness to the Lord and they were the first fruits of his increase. So he says somewhere else, Israel is my firstborn. So he chose a firstborn. He entered into covenant firstborn among the nations. He wants all nations. He's going after all nations, but he gives Israel as a first fruits. Why he says honor my first fruit there, but it's it's a sign his respect and honor towards Israel that he was going to go after all nations. That's what our the giving that we do to him are honoring with the first, honoring with the it's first. It's showing fruits. that he is our priority above anything else, so and that he owns it all. He owns it all, but we think of him first. And First Corinthians fifteen twenty three, Christ the first fruits. So. There's a first nation, then his first son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, later called or different places, the first begotten among many. He has given us the right to be sons um, by sending. So he sends he who becomes the first begotten of many sons. And then he says, we're the sons and daughters. So there's a principle of who he is. He gives, he's just asking us to be like him. Yeah. He's not saying, you all give first, and but I don't. It's like I do it, and I give it. I give my best, and so he gives his best. He gave he gave his the best he could do is the Son of God Himself, right. Jesus. And so, anyway, we hope that helped you uh, a little bit. We did go long with it. There's so much more on on generosity and giving, but we hope this really assists you in in. Uh, you did a great job. I think that was so important, even if it took a little longer, because we needed to get into the nitty gritty of the scripture that's typically used. 
Um, you know, one loose end in my mind is if you are a part of a church, especially some of the smaller churches that um, are just really focused on on the community and, and loving the people there, they're not churches with some huge agenda, they probably don't have like a big board or whatever, and you're part of one of those churches, be bold and speak up on behalf of your pastors and make sure that they are financially taken care of. And if, especially if they're integrous and, you know, you, you feel good about supporting it, it's easy to just say, okay, well, I, I paid my tithes, my offerings, my first fruits, whatever, and I just stay out of yeah, it like after hush that. Money. And, and sometimes they are living, like you said, with just so much humility and they don't want to ask. And so nobody is initiating. I remember at a crucial point in our church experience when we were pastors, a few stepped forward and said, hey, you guys, we want to make sure that as a family, y'all are okay. And we want to make sure you have medical insurance and, and these different things. We were so used to living by faith that we just we just didn't go there. We didn't, we, we were so locked into just obeying what we felt like the Lord wanted us to do that, that we needed somebody to, to initiate that. And, and that might be you, you know, for your, your church, your pastors. Um, and so bottom line, your people are, are wondering some practical things like, okay, what if I, go to church, but right now I am so financially in debt and strapped that I don't, I'd have to literally use a credit card and go into more debt to give. Or what about somebody who is um, not going to church right now? What do you, like, is it important that, that if they're going to give an offering that it go only to a church? Or what, what are your thoughts on a couple of those practical things? Well, again, as we close, as we close, because <laughs> that really could almost be a, a, a whole another conversation. True. But we can we can do enough. We'll say short okay. bits of wisdom for to to leave with people. Things are complicated. A lot of it is because you know we'll just connect to something we've been telling you. The way the new world order, the deep state runs, they're designed to keep people in debt and to keep people um, liquidity challenged. And so there's a reason why we're the way we are. And so it's, it's put many, including believers in, in uh, dire straits. And so there's a reason the average American owes American, you know, we're the, the prosperous nation of the world, $90,000 in debt. So on the one hand, if you, um, you know, if nobody who's in debt is going to be generous anymore, we got a big problem. The good news, if I had those numbers, I don't remember, it's it's in the trillions of dollars how much money Christians give in the United States. And it's uh, literally half the money of the world that's given by Christians is given by the Christians of the United States. So that's, and it's and it's a lot overall. And, and some of it goes to other, we'll say agencies, charitable organizations mm -hmm. and things like that. And of course, do due diligence on that. Don't have your pastor starving, um, who's a good pastor, um, and again, not saying I have even believe that you have to have one pastor. There is, having talked about, okay, there can be corporate leaders, by corporate meaning many, three or four leadership. There's all kinds of, I don't think there's one perfect, that's a whole other conversation as well. There's not one perfect church style and way of doing things. I can, I can defend, uh, you know, leadership of 10 elders from the Bible 
uh, one pastor where it's the board, uh, deacons in some sort of way, if you call them presbyteries, all that kind of stuff. But um, these things are, are realities, and you just have to interact with the Lord. I just say you want to do something. You want to you wanna make some statement to the Lord. Your statements are to the Lord and to yourself. My trust is in him. Mm-hmm. My trust is in him. You want to keep that open and you want to... Uh, so whether you're in debt or you have hardly enough to live on yourself, you're saying that that when we connect to the generous heart of God and we allow that in ourselves, um, it's, it's making a bigger statement than, okay, I'm going to get all my ducks in a row and then I'm going to start fulfilling, you know, this law of giving kind of thing. Yeah. And, and so and God meets us in that place. He, he meets us there. He, he knows, again, and loosely, depending on what you call debt. There's debt where I don't have enough for my food this week, yeah. and that's one, one level. I'm pretty sure God's not um, like, hey, you should have given me something this week. Again, that's my perspective. But we can say loosely, most population is in debt in the sense of you're paying, making payments on your car or your house. So that way, it, like, there's no, you know... It's not okay. an excuse. You can't absolve from yeah. from generosity from that because you somehow found a way to add something else uh, as well. It, these are heart matters. They're heart matters. Right. They're heart matters. Right. So he freely gave his best to us. We want to grow in generosity. I've never seen someone tithe themselves into prosperity, despite the fact that that's preached. I have seen people give themselves into prosperity to be generous and to have not that much, but to generate um uh, prosperity that way, but not just that. I don't want to overemphasize that way because Jesus' own model, again, is stewardship as yeah. well. The five talents, the two talents, the one talents. There's another, there's multiple stories he would give was about stewardship with your finances. And so it's like, I want to be trusted with more. So I'm going to be trusted with the little that I have by stewarding it well, being generous with it, being diligent, doing my due diligence where I put it so that I can have more to advance the kingdom even more. Even if you look exactly, even if you look at the parable of the sower, there is like rocky soil, thorny soil by the wayside, and there's good soil, and there's the good soil that produces. Those are financial realities as well. And you can't just, you for sure can't just 10% and you're going to get over that hump, like you do the legal 10%, you paid off. and it, um, Why aren't the windows of heaven open over me? And, and and you don't know how to even sow seed in the right place. And so that that's process. It's process. You interact with the Holy Spirit. You get wise counsel. And you do things like that so that you're not, you know, you, you find out what, what would be rocky, risky. Um, there's some crypto, you know, crypto fields that are risky and rocky. And some of you have a little extra, so it doesn't matter. And but others, it is crucial, and and so there's thorny, rocky by the wayside, and you want to learn how to grow in it. It's process, process, interaction, relationship with the Lord, and it, these all become part of pieces of the puzzle. Again, pastors, we were there, we understand that um, um, they haven't been good at teaching that part. That's like pastors is one trick, one trick pony with. Uh, finance because that's what's been taught to us like teach him to tithe and everything's going to be great it's not true anyway we have we have we'll pray for you yes and just circling back to the scripture we started with where um god in malachi was it malachi or numbers was telling the priest you know you have robbed me that's, that's in malachi. malachi 
Um, but the other scripture where it was, it was talking about, you know, this is money that's to go into the storehouse to care for the nations, to care for the, excuse me, the widows and orphans. Yes. And then connected to the Malachi scripture, you've robbed me and you've also robbed the nation. So I think, I think a good heart posture right now for us collectively as the body of Christ is to, to take inventory. How have we robbed our nations in the ways that we have not stewarded well over what God has given us and the ways he's been generous with us? And it's not to come to a place of condemnation, but a place of conviction where we can grow and make changes. I believe that many of the issues that we see in the world and in our nations and in our communities are because we've checked off a legalistic box and left the government to take care of everything else. You know, you take care of the orphans, you take care of the widows. And we've become so disengaged with society that even if we had, let's say there's a season of prosperity coming for many believers, are we engaged enough with society and the issues around us that we and the people that we would know? Like, let's say we had plenty to give to our local church and then some. Do we know what the issues are that we would so into to to help bring others out of poverty, to help widows, to help orphans, to help um, with medical, you know, issues, health issues in our country, etc. Are we prepared to help humanity heal? Yeah. And um, I believe that God is preparing us, and He's He's putting a desire in our hearts to be good stewards and to be generous stewards um, over our nations and not just over, are we giving enough the right way to a church? It's so much, it's that and more. It's so much bigger than that. Well, we have to have it clear. He says in the scripture, you know, my God will provide all your needs according to his riches in glory. He's a God who wants to provide for everything we need. He's listed elsewhere as the God who wants us to be, that you might have life abundantly in abundance and it at least includes that we know that all his friends in the old testament whether you look at uh, joseph or you look at abraham you look at you know david king david was a billionaire at the talents of gold i looked at the mount that he had and he came from uh, really from being a shepherd boy to being a, a billionaire and abraham had much and and he was a nephew lot had much and so prosperity was a natural reality um, for his friends in the Old Testament. And then when he promised the promised land, he didn't say, you know, I'm sending you to a, a land that flows with the fruit of the Holy Spirit, milk and honey. It was abundance. You'd be the head, not the tail. You'll be able to, but again, to give, to be the borrowers and not, I mean, not have to be the borrowers, but to be the ones that borrow, allow Wind. others to borrow from you. Yeah. And so that reality is who he is. So you want to be serving a God through your giving, through your generosity, have your heart completely open. Um, and really is there's a time and season coming, uh, I believe right around the corner for us that those, those that he sees this kind of heart for stewardship, there's going to be an unusual, um, unusual release of uh, yeah. blessing on them. But we do have to get rid of 
uh, wrong concepts in the body of Christ, the manipulation, the manipulation that happens in ministerial circuit, circuits where they put scriptures. Don't fall to it. Yeah, we, we don't like that at all um, either. So we're not going to take up an offering right now. <laughs> we know. never do. All right. Nothing so new. Let's, let's pray. pray. You ready? Sure. Sounds like you got something. Let's go. Father, we love this aspect of who you are as our provider, and we thank you for all the ways that you care for us, that you take care of us, that you send the rain and you send the seed for sowing. And we are so grateful for this earthly experience to get to grow in this knowledge of who you are and how you are and, and your generosity. And we just, we want to draw near to this face of yours and, and reflect it to the world around us. We um, know that we have a lot of room to grow in this area and that you want to trust us with so much more, each one of us individually and us as your, as your bride, you want to trust us with so much more. And so we give you permission once again to, um, to prepare us, do the things that need to happen in our lives and in our hearts. And may we have teachable spirits where we we recognize and learn how to be better stewards. Um, we ask that you would help us engage with our churches, with our um, our communities in a way that we would know and enjoy the blessing of being conduits, of being um, not dams and not people that hoard up the little or the much, but we are those that just allow your wealth and your wholeness to flow through us to those around us. It's the desire of our heart to reflect this part of who you are and who you've been to each one of us. We thank you for the gift of wealth and finances and money that is given to us as a tool to advance who you are in the world and how much you love and care and how practical and involved and intentional you are. So we thank you um, for, for teaching us in this. Thank you for clarity. Thank you, Jesus, for making the sacrifice um, for the new, better covenant, the new, better way um, than the law. Thank you for fulfilling the law. Thank you for doing what we cannot do and we, we were never perfect enough at. We love your grace. And in that place of grace, we want to just be so generous. We thank you for this um, place of freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right. Blessings. See you next. On Up for Discussion. <laughs>